Welcome to the Wisdom Club podcast, where we talk to inspirational business leaders in our community that inspire us to lead a life full of wisdom and build a business as worthy of our wildest dreams. I'm your host, Leo Chen. I'm a tech entrepreneur, real estate advisor, and investor located right here in sunny coastal Orange County, California. And the goal of this podcast is to expand your mind and share what's possible. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Wisdom Club podcast. I'm Leo Chen, and uh, I am coming to you live here with Ryan Broughton. Uh, he's our great guest today uh, with uh, with experience and full of knowledge in the mortgage world. And uh, we're going to get right into all of that stuff. Um, but uh, first of all, I want to welcome Ryan here. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Good, Leo. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Um, I've always wanted to have you on, uh, but for some reason, it's taken us a while to get you on. So I appreciate yeah. you being here and spending the time. Uh, you don't have to be here, but you are here out of the, uh, the generosity um, of you and um, being able to share, uh, you know, the market and the data and what you're seeing out there, you know, uh, in the mortgage world, because it's so important uh, as part of our business. Uh, uh, the real estate industry, you know, overall. And so uh, before we get start, started, though, uh, I'd love for you to talk about uh, kind of your background about, you know, uh, not only yourself personally, you know, uh, you know, you can take me back to as far as far back as your college days, and how you kind of decided to, you know, how you ended up in in uh, real estate and mortgage world. Um, and uh, so I'll let you take it away from there. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a very long story. So I'll, I'll try to keep oh, it. Oh, no worry. We got time. Simple as, yeah, <laughs> to the point. We yeah, yeah. I grew up, grew up in Anaheim Hills, um, family, the grandparents and my parents uh, were always uh, self-employed business owners. So I kind of grew up with that um, small business mentality and learned a lot, uh, you know, just ethics wise and integrity growing up watching, you know, my grandparents and then my parents run, you know, business for their entire careers, uh, frankly. Um, ended up uh, at Cal State Long Beach after, you know, some community college and trying to figure out where I wanted to go and uh, initially was a business, uh, studying business, was going to major in business and change directions uh, to do communication and um, sales and marketing specifically. Uh, did a minor in music, graduated from uh, Cal State Long Beach in uh, 2000. And uh, at the time I was in telecommunications and, you know, kind of pursuing music and figuring out where I wanted to go uh, career-wise and um, kind of just randomly fell into the mortgage business. Had a lot of friends at that time in the late 90s that were doing pretty well in the business and uh, really at the time didn't have a whole lot of interest in pursuing it. Um, but I gave it a shot. And uh, the first company I worked for was not the best experience. It uh, didn't seem like it was for me and it was really mainly the company and how they were structured. And so I braked for a while um, continued with my telecommunication job, and uh, and then eventually a few months later fell into a uh, a good opportunity in the mortgage space, and it was booming like crazy in 2000. You know, so really cut my teeth for the first couple of years learning the business. Um, looking back, probably learning it a little bit the wrong way, frankly, uh, just being that I was working for a subprime company and wasn't really learning the the full gamut of product offerings that ultimately 
Um, you know, 2004 or five, I really started to focus more on a paper lending and all day lending, um, which was really the, the bread and butter in 2006, seven, when the market shifted, uh, subprime business completely dried up and you really had to know how to do loans and how to work hard uh, in the space to survive. And uh, at the time I had branched out from companies, started my own venture. I had a broker of records, started a small boutique brokerage. Uh, ran that from 2000, end of 2005 till uh, about 2012. And at that point, market was doing another shift. It uh, kind of worked through the more challenging times of 2008 uh, that seemed to last forever, but it was really about a two to three year period that uh, the market went through probably the biggest shift I've ever seen in my my 20 years of doing this. Um, you know, in, in this 2012, things were shifting again, and I decided to really just focus more on purchase lending. I was doing a mixture of everything, you know, all different types of residential financing. But, um, you know, at the time, it, it just seemed like I needed to make a move in a different direction for the long term. And uh, I, I did that. And I came back to the retail space, uh, buttoned up my small little shop in, in Long Beach um, and decided to uh, to join a company that could kind of take a lot of the the minutia and the back end compliance and you know capital requirements and all these different things that were kind of bogging me down as a small broker and just focus more on my originations and you know working with my clients and doing what i do best frankly um and so i've yeah been in the retail space uh since 2012 uh working for some of the largest independent mortgage banks in the country i've uh, been with some of the top branches in uh south orange county and Worked with some of the best loan originators here in our local market. Uh, 2019, I decided to uh, leave the company I was at to realign with uh, senior VP, my senior VP now, but uh, kind of a mentor of mine that I'd worked with uh, back in 2012 uh, through 2014 at another company. And I opened a branch for Fairway in uh, July of 2019, and it's been just a wonderful ride ever since. Uh, Timing was a little off going into COVID, you know, but who could have uh, imagined what, what was going to happen? But uh, the company did wonderful. Um, couldn't be more proud and happy to be with Fairway. And they've just been a huge support for my business. So um, here we are, you know, 2023, ready to rinse and repeat, do it all again. Yeah, I, I love that, the, you know, for you, such a happy, happy ending throughout that, that whole journey there. Um, but I want to I want to, uh, you know, we can talk, we can talk loans and real estate, literally you and I all, all day long, all day yeah, long. As we and do I, sometimes. <laughs> and, and yeah, we do, we do quite often actually. And I learn a lot from you. So I appreciate that. Um, but the one thing, I mean, I've known you for many years now and I've done so many uh, transactions with you, but I didn't know um, that just like me, you, uh, you were in the, you know, you were into music you know, when you were, you know, younger before all of this stuff. And so, uh, so, you know, I'm still learning. Uh, what, uh, what, what was the part of music that you did uh, while you were, while you were younger? I think it was college years. Yeah. Well, I mean, music, I, my, my father's a, you know, a musician, you know, not professionally trained, but he's more of a music collector and just, you know, at, at a young age, me and my sister were, introduced to music uh, and his passion and naturally, you know, collected a lot of music growing up. So it, it really goes back to, you know, fifth, sixth grade, I was uh, doing DJing at dance parties for friends to evolving into playing in, in band all through high school. Um, and then, you know, just kind of evolving my direction in music, I guess. And as I got into college, I wanted to 
take advantage of, you know, some of the credits and do a minor in music. So I did a minor in uh, film scoring. And at that time I was getting more into production and engineering, working kind of in a studio environment with musicians that were better than me. You know, I can write the foundation of a, a track, but I would work with other musicians to play certain parts. And um, the creative process I loved. And I mean, frankly, just to go back to how I ended up in the mortgage business after I graduated college, the dream was to continue my music uh, adventure. But uh, as you know, it's not an easy business to to make a good living in. And no, no. Um, I had at the time uh, started a just a small independent record label. And we were putting some local artists uh, stuff out as well as my some of my music um, and different folks I was working with at the time. And it, it just the capital and to, it was pre-digital days. So we were printing vinyl and CDs and, you know, cassettes prior to that. Um, but the margins were so thin that it was really a labor of love is what I realized. And um, I kind of fell into the mortgage business initially with the idea that uh, I saw friends of mine doing very well financially in the business. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just get in for a year or two, uh, save some money and I can put the money back into my music adventure and, and dreams, you know, and uh, here we are 20 something years later, I never left the mortgage business. And <laughs> Uh, the music is still something that's super, super, you know, big part of my life. I collect a ton of music. I still do um, play and work in my little home studio a little bit, but it's, it's really, it's a hobby and it's a, it's a stress reliever for me, you know? So it's one of my, my favorite things to do is listen to good music or noodle around in the studio a little bit. So. Yeah. From, from a classic sense, you know, um, we always talk about, you know, maybe that's why you and I get along so well. <laughs> because, Possibly, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, there's there's three big M's, you know, in, in life from a classical sense uh, that I've learned is, is that um, it's math and music and medicine, right? And uh, any of those one things but uh, are great uh, if you can spend some time with it and have a core understanding and skills around it um, is good. But, you know, from a classical sense, you know, there was, people like Aristotle and things like that. They all, they had all three, they had the all three big M's, you know, that's how, you know, people in the old days, that's how they uh, developed themselves. And uh, nowadays, not so much because everything is so super uh, specialized, but I appreciate anybody who really, really appreciate uh, art and music uh, for, for its own sake. Um, and I, I love hearing your experience because you sounds like you did all the all the fun things. And I did all the boring things because I was in, <laughs> in the classical music world where you just, you just work hard, you know, all day, every day. And the users learn everything. It's so extremely tedious rather than, you know, collaborating with people playing in a band. Like I was just sitting in front of people, a piano it was just me and the piano for hours and hours. And then we go give recitals and we come back and we sit, sit at the piano some more, you know, stuff like that. But, but I can tell you, Leo, like as later in my, my adventure with music, like I always wished that my parents would have sat me down and got me piano lessons to begin with at a young age. Yeah. And I, because I missed out on any type of classical training. I mean, I took some guitar lessons and stuff like that or learned from friends, you know, but it was really just kind of self-taught. I'm not a great musician by any means. I, I say I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I can do a little bit of everything, you know, but um, yeah, I, I always kind of wish that I would have more formal training rather than learning how to play a guitar in a band in a garage and, you know, the yeah. early 90s. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the experience and the people I've met, I just, I feel like music is really one of the last true universal languages, you know, that 
I, you can connect. I listen to a lot of Latin music, you know, and I don't speak fluent Spanish. I can understand some of it. I listen to a lot of reggae or, you know, even music, African language music. Uh, Habib Coyote is one of my favorite artists. And it's just the, the music, even if I don't understand the language so much, the music still speaks to me and has, you know, that kind of that healing effect. And, and uh, yeah, and just being in those environments with live music, you know, the unity that brings to people. I think it's a, it's an art form that needs to be really cherished, you know? Yeah, I mean, it elevates uh, uh, your quality of life out of your understanding and your enjoyment, you know, everywhere you go, when you hear things and you hear music or, you know, anything else, you you have a better discernment, you know, with the environment, you know, around you, which is what I appreciated. Uh, unfortunately, most people, very few people can make, you know, a decent, you know, real living at it. Um, but yeah. I wish that the, you know, music education and, and things like that should be standard for everybody. And uh, we all be better, better people for it, really. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's sad to see that the schools are not funding that in, in some cases, you know, or largely. Um, that was always a really big thing for me in elementary school. I'll never forget Mr. Fryman was our guitar yeah. music teacher. He'd come every Friday and sing and teach us songs. And, you know, and that was a really special thing. And I'll never forget that, you know, and I think, yeah, it's, it's important in our schools, the, the arts, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's it's just an important part of our, our lives. And we'd like to see it, uh, you know, more productive and positive uh for for our world um so uh super exciting with that um and then uh one thing that jumped at me when you were talking about your background um is is the your earlier experience you you mentioned that it wasn't a good experience and i want i want to let people uh, out there you know get get an understanding of that experience because there are a lot of people either coming into the industry not knowing anything or leaving in the industry because they're disgruntled they they're unhappy with it and so uh, maybe you can speak a little bit more about that how your um, initial experience that was not good and why and and how do you think it should be done today if somebody was uh, you know entering the this industry i mean it's a, anything around real estate is a great industry yeah. and, and you said you fell into it you know uh lucky for you like you know falling into such an amazing limitless you know kind of a, a industry where you get to uh help and um fulfill this very very important part of people's lives yeah yeah no i you know the business was obviously far different in 2000, 2001 than it is now, you know, and it's, it's constantly evolving like any industry. So the way things were, you know, we would market, it was very much consumer direct. So the, the first company I went to uh, was a close friend of mine through music that was in the mortgage business for two or three years at that point doing well. So he kind of brought me in under his wing and uh, it just wasn't a structured company. It was very small, you know, and they, pretty much sat me down at a desk with a phone and gave me a big list of people to call potential prospects. And I just kind of cut my teeth, didn't even know what to say. You know, I, I didn't even know the products. I didn't really know how to sell anything. I didn't, you know, understand really it was, it was forming kind of a bad habit, frankly, which continued for probably three or four years of my initial intro into the mortgage space where it, it was very transactional back then. Um, or at least the companies I was working for. It was very, very much transactional, um, not building a long-term relationship with each and every client, uh, really just trying to do as many loans as you possibly could because that's the way the company incentivized you, you know? Um, and it was very much consumer direct. I mean, so it was pre-internet leads. 
Um, there may have been a few companies out there starting, but I didn't really get exposed to internet leads till about 2003. Um, again, all consumer direct. So the first 10 years of my business, I worked primarily, uh, you know, from doing the fax blasting, the mailers, to internet leads, you know, and working for companies that provided me uh, the marketing and the leads, um, you know, and I was just honing in on my craft, you know, but the the experience at the company that I was with the longest, uh, the second company I went with and uh, the subprime company, they were a pretty well-known company in Orange County. It, it was just, um, it, it was very, very much like boiler room environment, you know, and that's how a lot of the companies were back then. And um, they had a lot of young guys and gals working for them that had little to no education. Uh, licensing requirements were very different. So, um, I, I mean, I knew guys that barely graduated high school that had dove in the business and were, you know, finding a lot of success. But I, I think I learned when I branched out on my own um, how important my database was and not being so transactional and focusing more on each and every family we helped to build a deep relationship and really providing a higher level of value than just an interest rate and a, a you know closing cost structure that made sense for them and then you move on to the next client you know and um and that's you know kind of what slowly evolved when i decided to get away from being such a consumer direct and that's where most people do start in our industry you know you don't have a database of past clients that you've you know built trust with that will refer you and and or use you in future transactions if you've done good by them um so that that hill takes time to climb to build that that backing and that you know book of business per se um so i think a lot of people start in these you know consumer direct kind of call center environments that exist now that are doing massive marketing and and those are very transactional type of loan officers you know which I'm sure there's great people in those positions and they're learning their craft. But I find that people over in the retail side that are doing more um, self-gen type of business where, you know, I go out and build relationships with great agents like, like you, Leo, um, to serve as kind of an extension to your business, you know, and it's my clientele now is very much um, non-transactional. You know, it's we're, we're helping families build generational wealth through real estate. And my goal every day is to continue to sharpen my tools and uh, be the best loan officer I can and loan advisor and, um, you know, help people guide them through a very confusing and emotional process that, you know, even if you're buying your second or third home, you, you know, we experience it all the time. It's it's a new market. You know, if we just look at where things were in 2021 compared to, to now, it's a completely different conversation I'm having with clients trying to educate them on either opportunities or strategies or where the market's going. And, you know, and it's completely different conversation than I was having even 15 months ago. So yeah, yeah things change quick, you know, and we, you know, it's a new shift in a market. It's, there's a strategy for every market, you know, and the strategies we were helping our clients utilize and leverage in 2020, 2021, some of those are still relevant. Most of them aren't. And now we have new strategies to win in this market. Yeah, it's amazing how how the market uh, changes so quickly uh, nowadays. Uh, it used yeah. to take, you know, a year for something to kind of like turn over and be something a little different. But uh, since COVID, we had, you know, probably three or more different mini markets, you know, already. And they're very, very <laughs> different from each other. And so when I talk to clients, they're like, well, 
um, when was the last time you bought a home? And they're like, well, it's been seven years. I'm like, well, <laughs> things are a lot different seven years ago yeah. or even five years ago. And if we talk about COVID even three years ago, you know, and then if we talk about how, um, you know, the inflation has been, it's different than six months ago, you know? So um, you can never, you can never take, take it for granted as a home buyer, as a home seller, or as an investor, you know, to check out like, hey, what is going on right now? Not yesterday, not a month ago, like right now. If I were to see a really good deal today and it's what I wanted, how would I strategize, you know, around that? How the finances look, how the negotiations look, and, you know, how the terms and and the, uh, all of that stuff, you know, going to look. Uh, very different conversations. And this is what we why we love the industry so much is because we get to learn at every turn you know, yeah. the market it keeps you on your toes, you know, for, yeah. for sure. And that, that's something I think that the challenge of problem solution in my industry is what's always kept me coming back to the mortgage space, even in tough times where like so many people, I had thoughts of doubt and thought about leaving the industry. And, you know, and this is the second to third shift that I've gone through in the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, and last year things changed so rapidly, right. But if we're staying at the with our thumb on the pulse of what's happening as a professional in our space, we can provide that value to the consumer that unfortunately is just getting bombarded with a lot of media stuff that isn't necessarily accurate. Um, you know, spinning a story and, it, you know, and you, you got two choices when the market shifts, you can either, you know, put your head in the sand or you can run into the storm, you know, and it's, yeah. it, for me, it's, it's just, it's the market. You can't, I, I can't look at, what we've gone through over the last year, which wasn't even that bad of a year, technically, it was just a very big shift in the industry with interest rates going up as quick as they did. I mean, we've never, I've never personally seen rates go up as fast as they did uh, last year, but it's been great to see how quickly they're coming back down. Um, but that volatility is hard for the consumer to understand, right? So, you know, just providing value. And, and for me, I just remind myself every day that it's not, it's not a bad market. It's not a great market. It's just, it's the market at any given time, right? And it's always going to be different than yesterday's market as tomorrow's market's going to be slightly different and it's going to be new strategies and, you know, different approach to things, but that's the evolution that is exciting for me. And, you know, and yeah, the business is like, I think I, I, provided you in the bio, you know, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in this business. You know, I went through 2008 working for myself independently and, you know, the demographics of people that I could help shrunk by, you know, literally 50% overnight. And it was a very, very challenged market. Uh, learned a lot and fought through that. And there's a lot of young loan originators and real estate agents that didn't work through that time. Um, and frankly, that could be a good or a bad. I think you, you get some scar tissue from those times too, you know? So um, going into the shift that we saw last year, I, I just looked back and said, you know, I've been through much worse. And I, we're, Leo, I honestly, I think I told you this yesterday when we were speaking, I, I really believe we are, you know, closer to the end of this little cycle, uh, regardless of what the economy is doing. I think we're closer to the end of this cycle. We're seeing inflation come down. We're seeing rates come back down with it. And we're going to get into a place where we have a five handle or maybe even, a you know, into the fours and in, in rates in the next six to 12 months, you know, very likely. And it's, you know, the affordability is going to make more sense for folks, you know, um, and that's the biggest issue right now, right? It's just the, the affordability 
Um, but understanding where the market's going and the opportunities that exist right now that certainly didn't exist the last two to three years, you know, as far as negotiating price, not competing with, you know, multiple, multiple offers on a property. We're getting credits, you know, concessions for our clients to pay closing costs, buy interest rates down, whether it's a permanent buy down or a temporary buy down. There's a lot of room to negotiate right now. Simple supply and demand. You know, there just is not a ton of demand out there. And for me, you know, if, if you get past maybe having a slightly higher rate, then in comparing anything to two to three years ago is not fair because those were anomaly years. Rates were artificially low. You look at historic rates, you know, even the rates right now are, are pretty darn good historically, um, better than when I got in the business, you know, frankly. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. And, and I, I think it's just seeing the details and educating the clients on, you know, maybe it's not a $50,000 low ball offer that's really going to save you money. Maybe it's offering list price, assuming it's realistic, and let's ask for a $20,000 seller concession to help offset your closing costs or buy your interest rate down or whatever it can to make the, the property more affordable and palatable for the client. And, and there's just a lot of creative things that we're doing, you know, it, it, to contend with the shift, you know, yeah. that yeah. again, as rates come down to five, back into the fours eventually, which is the forecast by very highly trusted sources, uh, you know, the, the, it'll be a new strategy. There, there won't be room for negotiating probably big concessions. Uh, values will be supported by demand coming back into the market. There's a lot of pent up demand that's gone to the sidelines that will very likely come back in when rates drop again. Yeah, I, I, uh, whether it's right or wrong, um, we all have a very good sense of the market because we're working in it every single day. Somebody like you, um, you know, things they could prove us wrong in the next week or next month or three months from now, uh, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you and I are in the trenches, and if we if we get it slightly not right, that's okay. But when somebody's not in the industry, they don't work in it. They see some news, and the news industry have nothing to do with you know with uh, real estate, but yet they're reporting on things you know that are uh, only for their benefit, only so that they can get more clicks, and only so that they can you know. Uh, because that's their business. The more you watch it, the more afraid you are of what they're saying. The more you watch it, the more you click on it, the more they make money. And that's their goal, not a goal for that. Their goal is not to help you, you know, buy a home. Their goal is not to help you know exactly what's home going on from a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, the most, uh, I did a video on this. Most of the news out there is at least uh, two to three, uh, two to three months behind because uh, most of the major uh, news as well as the associations are reporting on a quarterly basis, right? And so what, by the time you get the chart, it's already a month to three months uh, behind, right? Yeah. And what I'm doing for uh, clients and for everybody out there is I'm doing market reports that are for today, this week. What's happening this week? What are the rates yeah. this week? What are the prices this week for your area, for your city, you know, for your price range, right? Right now, right? Yeah. So be careful out there for those people who are listening out there. Uh, be careful. Like when you look at charts and you look at data and you're seeing reports and stuff like that, well, when was that? Because a month ago, it was completely different than today. 
right? Yeah. So that's, I think that's a, an unfortunate and biggest enemy, you know, uh, to our industry, but even worse, it's the biggest enemy to uh, the consumers, the average family, uh, the average couple out there who's trying to buy their first home or their second home or something like that. They can't make correct decisions because they have uh, outdated info and they have wrong info. Right. So, so we're always encouraging people like, hey, just have a conversation with us. You know, with the, with a professional that, like you right. said, is in the trenches daily and constantly educating ourselves. You know, I mean, it's a daily routine. If you're a professional in our industry, whether it's real estate or on the mortgage side, um, yeah, the media. The media. I, I mean, if you look at it, just watch the news any given night. You know, ninety nine percent of it is all negative stuff. You know, beyond just our industry, whatever, just yeah, everything. Because it sells. So it's yeah, it's because easier it's, to sell. It's easier yeah. to put together a story. People are attracted to negative news for whatever reason, you know, and they'll throw in a little positive here and there. But I, I mean, it's like headlines that came out in 2018, 19. It was a terrible time to buy real estate. You know, there's going to be another bus. Like, I mean, it's just so off base. Diana Oleg, she's infamous for doing that. But you know, had people taken that advice in 2018, 19 and not purchased, you know, granted 2020, 2021 were anomalies. There still would have been appreciation even if COVID didn't exist, yeah. you know, and it's supply and demand, right? So for people that you just have to be careful where you're getting your information from, right? Whether it's, you know, a professional like myself, I encourage borrowers, you know, if I'm not the fit for you, talk to somebody that really knows what they're doing in the industry. Don't take the advice as much as like I value advice from my parents still as old as I am. <laughs> I still trust, you know, they've seen life and bought and sold numerous properties. And, um, you know, you got to be careful with that. You know, I had a conversation with dad, my dad just a couple of weeks ago. He's a super sharp guy. And he, he was even still a little confused about the Fed rate and how that's impacting mortgage rates. And, um, you know, just simple thing. And my father ran a very successful business for 40 years. I mean, he's, he's actually was an economist and uh, worked for the IRS when he first got out of college. You know, I mean, he knows numbers, but you got to be careful where you get your information from. So you're making educated decisions, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, uh, our families are family and I've had clients that just recently actually, uh, and uh, I think you and I both worked with him. Uh, he just said that, well, you know, my mom told me to do this and my mom told me to do that. And I, and I said, well, that's not necessarily the best. Here's your other options. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, just based on his uh, situation, I don't think that's doing him any good because, you know, uh, the advice that she was given was from seven to 10 years ago when they bought a home, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and since then they that. haven't yeah. bought anything. And so it's just, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's just the wrong information and, but they don't know. And so uh, luckily for him, he had a conversation with both of us so that he could, you know, at least have a chance to think about it. And, uh, you know, whether he uh, took the advice or not, the, at least he can learn that lesson, you know, afterwards and say, hey, did I make the right choice? You know, so, so that's, it's, uh, it's amazing to me um, how, uh, how, the market shifts so quickly that the consumers are behind, you know, a year, three years, seven, eight years, you know? So, um, so we just have to do our, do, do our best, uh, you know, to get it out there so that we can kind of combat this, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's confusing. And like a, a client I talked to yesterday, he, you know, he, I, I appreciated what he said. He said, look, I'm not 
I'm not trying to time the market. I know that's impossible, you know, but so many people think the opposite, that there's a way to time the market. Mm -hmm. The best of the best can't even time the market. You know, I, I think real estate being one of the number one ways to build wealth in our country, generational wealth, frankly, it's, you know, the affordability piece, having a structured loan and a strategy, you know, and yeah, you know, maybe prices were getting a little high, you know, there was so much demand, but that is softened in a lot of markets, you know, and we're back into somewhat of a more of a leveling, in my opinion, you, you would know better than me, Leo, you watch that side of the market quite a bit more, obviously. Um, but I just feel that, you know, the inventory is still a, an, an issue. I think we're under a million active listings in the country right now. Um, you could speak on our market more specifically in Orange County, but that doesn't correct itself overnight. So as buyers continue to come back into the market, and I've already seen it just the, the start of this year, our applications are up. The national average application rate is up significantly. People are getting ahead of you know what normally is a spring market that you know really gets going in the next month or two. I see the activity coming back and rates are continuing to come down. And that's, you know, over the next two to three months, I think these CPI numbers are going to continue to support inflation coming down, interest rates coming down with it. And you're going to have multiple offers again. I mean, I think we're already seeing it in certain cases, um, you know, and the competition goes up. So time that out. You can wait until rates get to five, but now you may be competing with, you know, another 20 buyers on that same property and not, necessarily getting first crack of the property you're really in love with or paying the price you want or possibly yeah. getting concessions, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love this topic because I was just doing a presentation and I was going to uh, put this chart in there. I'm going to share it on the screen. We can uh, briefly chat, chat over it. Um, you see my screen there? Hopefully. Yep. So it's coming up. Let me know if you see it. You see the chart? I do not. Oh, you do not. Let me uh, let me see if I can redo this. We gotta love technology. How about now? Do you need me to stop my video or? Uh, no. Let me do this. Okay. Do you see the chart? I don't. You don't. Okay. That's all right. We'll skip it. Okay. Um, this is a chart of, uh, so this is a chart of uh, price, price moving uh, up, uh, up until uh, about last quarter of 2022. And it's come down about uh, five to 10%, depending on where you are. And around that same time, the interest rates have climbed all the way up to uh, 7 percent, uh, seven and a quarter in the low sevens. And then uh, that's where we see that. But, you know, I ask people when they should, you know, purchase a home. If you're timing the market, like, okay, look at this chart from uh, the middle of 2021 all the way to January 2023, would you have bought it, you know, in the middle of last, last year? right? Um, because if you keep waiting, the prices were going up and you're like, well, I'm not going to buy because a month ago it was, you know, 
30 grand less. So it's too pricey. So I'm not going to buy, but it kept going up all the way to May of 2022. Right. And the interest rates finally caught up with it and the price started coming down. Okay. Well, is that a good time to buy? Right. With your prices kind of at peak and then your interest rates at roughly 5%, five and a quarter. Is that a good time to buy? Right. I'm not, I'm not asking for answers, but like you got to ask yourself if you're a buyer. So now we have 10% lower prices than we had in, uh, say, um, uh, middle of 2021, right? And then people are still saying the price is high and the interest rates are too high. So what they're basically telling me is that there's no good time to buy. Right. (laughs) Right? I'm giving them every, like, if we break this down quarter by quarter, like, is this quarter the time right time to buy? Is this quarter the right time to buy? Is this quarter the right time to buy? But none of it is. It's either the interest rates too high or the price is too high or the interest rates and the price is too high, right? Right. And then I show them the second chart, which is, uh, which is basically the home prices since 2009. And it went from, uh, this is on average for LA County, uh, from uh, $300,000 uh, average median home price all the way up to today, okay, about uh, 900000 Okay, the chart is like this. Yeah. So between 2009 and today, where do you want to buy? Right. Right? Do you want to, that? you know, in hindsight, we were say like, oh, I want to buy in 2009. Okay, but you could have bought in 2009, 2010, 2012, 2017. It's still going up. You're still gaining. Yeah. No matter what, right? So the conclusion here is the right time to buy is when you're ready to buy, yeah. right? Has nothing and, and to do with yeah. any of this stuff right now, right? It's it's long it's long term. If you're if you're buying real estate to you know as an investor, maybe maybe the strategy is different. But you know somebody that's going to occupy the property or they're buying it you know as a second home, it's a long term investment. You know, um, and there's always going to be some ebbs and flows, right? And value softening a little bit is just the result of demand softening a lot more. You know. Um, d- does that back to, you know, my example of, you know, uh, is there going to be a crash or, you know, this stuff, it, it just makes no sense. Like loan performance, this is not 2008, completely different, um, you know, loan performance because of the underwriting guidelines, you know, regulation, so much stuff that completely changed with the Dodd-Frank Act, the quality of the loans that have been underwritten and, and provided, funded, for the last 10, 12 years, I have performed at great levels. Foreclosures still have one of the lowest levels it's been in decades. You know, and equity positions that families hold now are higher than probably ever in the history of, of mortgages or, or real estate owned. Um, you know, and people will protect that, you know, even if there is a slowdown in the economy or we go into a mild recession, probably already in one, frankly, in my opinion. But, you know, it, it, the families that, have issues paying, you know, what, what creates, you know, decreases in value demand a, like we're seeing now values, like you said, five to 10% is kind of the, the common, uh, you know, softening we've seen, I think across the country, just a little more in certain markets, a little less in certain markets, supply and demand. Um, but what supports decreased sales and deflation of value and properties is distressed sales, you know, foreclosures or so like what we saw in 2008, completely different, you know, the getting a loan back prior to the crash, 
was, you know, anybody could get, you just had to have a social security number basically, and you could fog a mirror. And we, there was a loan product for just about any type of buyer. And most people could get in with very little to no money down. Um, you know, it was bad. It, you know, the writing was on the wall, you know, but that underwriting, you know, product type of offering is in the rear view mirror. So, you know, where we see the the real support, you know, even though there has maybe been a softening five to 10%, which is good. And it was probably needed, right? We, we were at an unsustainable appreciation rate for two years in a row due to the pandemic, frankly, and artificial, uh, you know, bringing down of mortgage rates by our Fed, you know, that was artificially done. That, that was not a natural trading market. Um, but what supports values moving forward is the demand, lack of inventory, the equity position, when rates, you know, even right now, we, we're still writing a lot of purchase transactions, you know, and, and yeah, it may be when rates had peaked at seven, things did, you know, everybody was feeling a little bit of a slowdown. Um, and rightfully so, the market had to do a little correcting, which is happening, right? But will values go down further? Is there going to be some opportunity to buy that million dollar home at 950 in six months? No, I, I mean, I'd argue that all day, you know, because as the rates come down, the demand comes back into the market and it's going to support strong values. I mean, it, it's, it's real simple. Values don't do what they did in 2008 in any type of normal market. That was the, the result of very poorly underwritten loans, lack of regulation in the mortgage industry. And we were the po poster boy for bringing the economy down. I mean, it, it unfortunately was, you know, and it took a lot of years for mortgage people, I mean, including myself, to uh, feel respected by the consumer because, it, you know, you kind of felt like you were in an industry that was largely blamed for that, uh, and rightfully so, you know. Um, but I felt like in, in during COVID, you know, to the opportunity, uh, you know, I don't do a ton of refis, but we did more refis in 2020 and 2021. Um, because I don't market that. I focus on purchase lending. Um, but just for past clients and past client referrals, we did more refinances in that two-year window than I probably did in the last 10 years combined, um, yeah. which was great. We reconnected with a lot of families that we had helped years ago purchase the property, or maybe we had refinanced them, helping their you know, kids and cousins and you know, family friends and, you know, and saving people tons of money. I felt like hey, maybe this is our chance during the pandemic as an industry to maybe redeem ourselves a little bit and help yeah. the economy move forward and get through this crazy, unpredictable time, you know? And, and it was, and we were saving people so much money with the, those low interest rates, which is another factor of inventory, right? You know, it's, we talked about this. If you, if you have a 3% on your, your property and you were thinking of buying up or you're buying down, moving into retirement or whatever the case is, yeah, you may not want to give up that 3% and just deal with the property you have and extend your plans a while to not take on the 7% rate. But as these rates come down, jumping from a 3% to a 45 or 5% rate is, is much more palatable. I think we'll see, you know, inventory slowly start to open up, but I think rates come down personally, uh, creates more demand before we have inventory corrected. Do you agree yeah. with that? 
No, I, I, you couldn't have said it better and you hit the nail on the head there, you know, with all the refinances you guys did to help people, which they should, because the rates came down from, you know, your prior to 2019 and 18, they were in a four and a half to five, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, yeah. when they dropped to a, a three and under, like everybody refinanced and now they uh, were doing them a favor. You, they get to keep their home. They could have lower payments. They could, you know, gain more equity, you know, and maybe pay down a little bit more as they go because their payments are low. It's helping, helping people with their, with their wealth, which is uh, on the flip side, uh, part of the problem right now, because as interest rates go up, well, who, who would want to give up a 3%, you know, loan, uh, interest and then buy something else at a 6% or 7% or something like that, which is what's causing our inventory to be really low. That's, I mean, it's just logical. It just makes sense, right? right? You can't fault people for that. And then, you know, where are people going to go with prices that are risen, you know, so much they, if they had to pay more then it would hurt their pocketbooks. And so we have still literally 20 and and it's still dropping a little bit too uh we had used to have about 30 uh, last year i think we had about 30 percent of what we our normal inventory level is only 30 percent. that's like you know yeah. two-thirds of the inventory gone right not on the market you can't buy it nobody wants yeah. to sell it right and now we have probably around 2025 and orange county hit the hardest because it's been uh, more demanding uh, over this pandemic uh, people across the country and in, in the uh, northwest and in san diego and la have found out what a paradise it is you know right. here in orange county due to covid and so they all want to be here and that's driven the prices up and still we're out of all the counties here in southern california i think we're we're the highest priced county of of all of them and yeah. so, uh, so that demand, and that's just, you know, it totally makes sense. There's, there's, there's not any other way to really say it. And so because of that, I feel bad for the people who are first time home buyers, uh, who have been wanting to buy for years that the prices have come up for them and the interest has come up for them. But I keep encouraging them like, Hey, if you need, if you need to buy a, just a smaller home to get started, like you should do that now, even with this interest rates, because if it, it will, prices are probably not going to come down. You know, uh, interest rates may level level off a little bit, and you can refinance, uh, but it'll only get harder for those who are first time home buyers. The way that I see it, kind of in the you know going forward yeah. in the future, are you yeah, seeing? And, are you feeling that as well? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you you see the industry, our industry. You know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac just came out with pricing incentives. For first-time home buyers, and, and it just requires one of the buyers. You could have a, a husband and wife, or a, a, you know, a, a couple buying a home, an unmarried couple. As long as one of them is considered a first-time home buyer, has not owned a property in the prior three years, they're technically a first-time home buyer again. They can take advantage of this incentive pricing, which basically results in a rate that is probably about a half a percent less than the person that's not a first-time home buyer. So Fannie and Freddie see this this pain, and it's it's important to create uh, equal opportunity, you know, I mean, hence the community lending products. I mean, there is a lot of stuff for first time home buyers, but the affordability has been a challenge. And like you said, I, values are probably not going to come down to correct that. So maybe it's reevaluating your budget and the price point. And, and maybe instead of checking off eight out of 10 of the boxes on the exact property you were hoping for, for your first time, maybe we need to check off seven of the 10 boxes. And get in, you know, and everybody, I look back at the first property I bought, 
it was a, a starter home, you know, I mean, th there was no other way of looking at it. It was, it wasn't exactly what I wanted at the time. Um, in hindsight, it was the best thing I ever did because we gained equity off of it and it allowed me to parlay into my next property. And, you know, and you look at it, these very seldomly, probably in our market, these two, $3 million homes, these are not people's first time, you know, these, this is, they bought and sold real estate for decades before they finally get into that forever home. Generally speaking, you know, we're in a unique market where there is a lot of wealth on the coast, but, you know, for the average Joe, you got to start at a place that's comfortable, you know, and, and that that's the big thing right now, I think with my clients, Leo, just taking time to figure out a strategy um, to, to make it a comfortable thing. So you're not, you know, eating top ramen for the rest of your life and regretting buying a home, you know, you can comfortably keep your lifestyle, maybe change some things in your lifestyle, which everybody does when they take on a bigger obligation. Um, but looking at the the overall, looking at it from like a holistic standpoint, you know, a lot of people will just transactionally just do a loan for a client and okay, you're okay with the rate, you're okay with the payment, cool, here's the loan, you know, but there's so much more to it. When we're looking at a borrower's finances and I see, you know, maybe their goal is to put 20% down, um, you know, and they're paying $2,500 in rent. Now they're looking at $4,000 to, you know, just for example, uh, based on their scenario and the price point they want to be at. And it's a big jump, but I may look at it and go, well, you know, you're putting 20% down, but you have revolving debt that you're paying $2,000 a month between this car loan that you got five grand left on and all these other miscellaneous credit cards or whatever the number is. Maybe we allocate some of that money, your down payment, it's going to go further paying off this high interest debt. It's going to free up cash flow. So now you're not going from a $2,500 rent payment to $4,500 mortgage. I mean, you are, right? Um, but you're you're backing out a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars of other payments, so it's you got to look at everything. Um, I think that's my job to at least plant the seeds for clients, and you know they'll make a decision on what makes sense. But you know, building strategies like that, and sometimes it's it's not something that they're ready to do immediately. So I think right now it's uh, I, I tell every client I talk to, you know, whether you're looking to buy in one week, one month, or you know three years, it's fine. We'll stick with you and build a strategy. Um, but figuring out your qualifications and the financial piece, you know, before you get out there and really start uh, getting excited about property, I think it's an important thing to do first, you know, frankly, and some people skip past it and, and then, you know, put themselves in a position with the carts in front of the horse, you know, but um, yeah, so I, I, that, that's our approach right now, really, is just educating our clients, building a good strategy, taking time, you know, because the, the market has to make sense to them. You know, the opportunity has to make sense to them. And so just being patient and being servants to our clients really is, is our, our mantra right now. Yeah. I think uh, if I was the, you know, average consumer right now, you know, you, you hear everywhere, either, either from the news or from articles or from your friends and family, from, uh, you know, your neighbors or whatever, everybody's complaining about how hard it is. Uh, that we're in a recession, don't buy a home, like bad, 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 right? Without, you know, you know, speaking to, you know, a professional that you can trust to say, hey, uh, it, can we put together maybe a workable strategy, right? And then we can, you know, uh, take it from there. How, how would you like, no one, no one should ever in today's, today's world, no one should ever 
go into thinking about a, buying a home without a strategy, without a financial strategy, without a home search, you know, strategy, without a negotiation strategy. Once you get there, like there's just all those big pieces that uh, you need to do, and you don't have to do them yourself. We have professionals like you know Ryan here, you know, can can really put that together for you. Uh, we we recently had a transaction with, um, you know, our, our newlywed clients, and they uh, they they were just they were trying to offer up for this house that they want as much as they could. And it ended up, you know, selling back their, you know, luxury car, right. Yeah. And was able to close on their home because without that, that was, there was no way that was going to happen. And that just, that just speaks to that, their, uh, their willingness and their understanding how important it is that, that the home getting that first home for them to start their lives together as newlyweds is infinitely more important than there's luxury car that they're going right. to drive for a few years that's decreasing in value so that they can what look look good while driving from you know from home to work right you know, every day yeah. and they work you know eight nine hours i mean they were they they worked in uh in the medical industry and they they were nurses they were so they were working like 12 hours a day right you know like what what who cares about the car like the car yeah you probably yeah. you're driving it to yeah. and from work and and really yeah just trading up you know not it was a good example, Leo, you because know, we figured out every way we could, you know, to not have to go down that path. But that was the only thing I could come up with, you know, to free up some debt for qualifying purposes. And frankly, it was going to help them cash flow and adjust to the the new payment a lot more comfortably too. Yeah. Um. You know, and they they were open to it. I mean, that you know, and in, in trading a depreciating asset for the ability to buy an appreciating asset and, and with tax benefit, long term, you know, wealth building, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, looking, they made a good decision, in my opinion, you know, and they were just thrilled, obviously, with, with I mean, the house I and just, that it all worked out. Right. I I expect them in just a short couple of years, they're going to be thank, thanking everything, thanking the Lord, thanking, you know, both you and I have gotten gotten to them where they are because uh, interest rates will come down. They might come, they'll probably come back to you and say, hey, let's do a refinance or lower their payments, right? Things are getting more comfortable as, uh, you know, uh, their equity can, you know, start starts to grow, you know, over year over year. Uh, they're going to be feeling, you know, a lot better. And they just got a really great, you know, home, a uh, single family home, and um, it was uh, remodeled, so they didn't have to do anything to it. And so, I mean, I'm just so happy for a couple like that, that just, you know, uh, you know, came across that and they, they got equity on that home, the day they received keys, because that home was worth probably about $945,000, um, The sellers actually wanted nine twenty five, but they were willing to go down to, you know, uh, 900 or just under 900. Right. But their, but their, uh, highest price that they, that they could qualify and get a loan and get closed on was eight seventy five, And right. so they were able to negotiate down even from there. So literally they bought a home that's worth 950 for eight seventy five. Yeah. Right. That's, instant you know and, and on top of that i don't know if i told you but they also got about five thousand dollar back credit for right for some repairs that the home needed and so the the, the sellers gave them another five thousand dollars so they gained you know eighty thousand dollars literally in 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 equity you know just yeah. on this one, one transaction like in what industry in what world could you buy something that's worth eighty thousand dollars more than you paid for it? right nothing, nothing. yeah 
right? And, and he and, and he was a vet too, so that was uh, you know extra yes. big win. We we love helping yeah. vets. You know, Fairways one of the largest VA lenders in the country. So That's we, right. I don't get a ton of that in my local market. You know, more in San Diego, but right. yeah, it was a good success story, and they were just such a grateful family. And you know, the the, the pride of ownership. You know it. It just it's it's a long term. My father always told me that he was very against arm rates, you know, and and I'd argue with him like as long as you understand how arm works and you have a strategy and a plan and you understand the index that it's tied to and what you need to be paying attention to in the market as a consumer, I, I think arm you know short term arms a little dangerous, but a five seven ten year arm if it's going to yield you a considerably better payment. Um, you know the average loan is refinancing. It used to be five to six years. Now it's about three and a half years. Uh, and then you look at it, you know, the property I own now that me and my wife live in, we bought in 2018 and uh, refinanced it uh, end of 2019 rates had dropped. I dropped my rate like 0.75% cost wise. It made sense. Uh, and then I did it again during, during the pandemic when rates went to historical lows, you know, but if I look back at other prior properties, whenever there was an opportunity to step down the rate and it financially made sense, me, like so many other homeowners, logically you you redo the loan you know so you know people get stuck on where rates are now which i totally understand the affordability has to make sense to the to the family i mean it you know it's as simple as that uh and we have no guarantee that rates are going to come down but there is a technical picture and there's a lot of data that i can share with clients that help them understand and already see that rates just since november of last year national average rate peaked out in the end of october around 7.4 national average 30 year conforming rates about 6.1 as of this morning, yeah. you know, so we've come down, you know, full percent and a quarter, maybe a little more. Um, and it's not going to be a straight line down, but rates will continue to improve, you know, and, and thinking that they're going to get back in the historical lows of, you know, high twos, low threes, the market has never done that. I mean, the lowest rates we saw prior to that period of time, um, we're probably somewhere around three, three and a half percent, you know, and, and for a very short window. Right. But like the planning thing, I think we talked about this the other day. Like if you look at what rates, mortgage rates did not to keep talking about rates, because to me, it's more about affordability and values and rates, all that stuff's relative. What are you spending your mon- money on? How much money are you putting down? How can we maybe restructure this loan to free up more cash flow for you? And maybe even carry more tax benefit by carrying a larger mortgage, you know, or maybe it makes more sense to put more money down and get money out of certain investments that aren't doing good for you. Um, But if you look at what rates did in 2021, from the beginning of 2021 to the very end, yes, there was a little up and down, but rates overall increased at such a slow pace that they went up maybe three eighths to half a percent the entire year. Yeah. So easy to make plans, you know, as a shopper, you know, you're, you're out there making decisions based on, you know, X rate. If it went up an eighth or quarter percent in the 60 day period that it took you to find the property, like your plans didn't completely change, you know, there's all these variables, right. But 2022 was, it was tough for the consumer because rates went up a half a percent in the first two weeks of January off of the CPI numbers. Right. So you should shop for rates, uh, but, but, you know, try to get the best rate you can nail it down and then go forward. Right? Yeah. You shouldn't shop forever. Like, you know, I'm not a professional shopper for a no, rate, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. You can shop till you're blue in the face, right? Rates, right. you know, that's you right. can talk a hundred so doesn't get you yeah. within a quarter doesn't, percent. Yeah, it doesn't but, get you anywhere, right? But yeah, you know, but what I think really will be helpful for the consumers as rates kind of settle down, 
and stay in a range, you know, even if we end up in at 5%, let's say, and we stay in that range for the next year and a half, you can start making plans based on the cost of money, right? That's not constantly changing on you. That changes your budget, just like so many folks that I had pre-approved in Q3 and Q4 of 2021 that were missing out because there was so much competition, even with all the, you know, the ammo we give the clients, you know, to, to get offers accepted, 10-day guaranteed close, fully underwritten approval, so on and so forth. Um, you know, there was just so much competition. If if the price wasn't right and somebody was willing to pay more for the property, they tended to get the, the offer accepted. But you saw so many of those borrowers of ours, you know, and I'm sure it's the same thing for so many folks out there that just, you know, the rates went up so quickly that they got squeezed out of the market, you know, but they still want to buy. There's still demand, you know, the millennial buyers that are coming into the market over the next three to four years is going to be a huge part of the demand. And, um, you know, I think statistically right now, close to one third of the buyers in the marketplace are first time home buyers. Yeah. 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 They're, they're wait they're waiting a little bit on the sidelines, but, um, you know, I, I want to, I want to emphasize one more thing, you know, for people out there just to help them is that, you know, I love what you talked about is like uh, you, when you get, get an opportunity, you can lower your rates. Whenever you get an opportunity, you can lower your monthly payment, you know, after you've purchased a home, there's always opportunity to lower it and you can, um, you know, write off some taxes with your mortgage interest and things like that. People don't talk about enough for first time home buyers is that, yeah, you have to pay a little bit more, but you you get to deduct a lot of that stuff back as well, you know, at tax time. So, you know, every little bit helps. Um, but but the trend of purchasing a home and then being able to refinance and lower your payments as inflation kind of goes up over time, either slow or fast, it goes up, you know, um, your payment seems less and less and less, you know, 10 years ago, $2,000 a month seemed like a lot, you know, now $2,000 seems like, oh, that's really little, right? So you imagine 10, you know, five, 10 years from now, right? Our 3000 4000 $5,000 a month payment is not going to seem as much and you get to have a chance to decrease that as the uh, interest rates come down, you have an opportunity to be able to make a move on it. Um, but everybody is so gung-ho on, oh my God, 7% interest rates too high, 6% interest too high, 5% interest too high. Well, guess what? You should not you should not talk because you're renting and your rent is a hundred percent interest. Like 100%. you don't get to see a penny of that back, yeah. and rents only goes up. Yeah. Right? I know we have a little bit of flattening right now with rents, uh, but overall, especially in Orange County, rents are going up because it's just a shortage. There's a shortage not only homes to purchase, and so that spills over into shortage of homes to rent. To and rent. people are oh, holding yeah. on to their second homes and third homes because they know they can get a, a good deal amount of rent to pay for it and cash flow. You know, right. For, yeah, right? It's, it's it's finally softening a little bit, but it's still way yeah. above the normal yeah. average of you know four to five percent year over year yeah. rent to you know increase. Yeah, I mean, and we so it's the worst. Gonna, it's the know. worst for renter. You're getting hit from all sides, right? Yeah. Yeah, prices of cost of living goes up, whether it's food or transportation, and then the housing. If you're renting, then you're going to be paying the highest, and you're paying off somebody else's mortgage, right? And every year it's going to go up, you know, five percent, like you said. We don't have rent control here in Orange County, but I just talked to someone and said, "Hey, you know, you guys, you need to, you know, help this person, you know, help this couple buy a home because they're tired of paying five hundred dollars more, you know, a rent increase for the, uh, you know, for the year." 
right? Yeah. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, let's help them right away. Let's let's get them into. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, and in you know, if, if somebody's not getting you know a renter that's interested in buying some type of rent versus buy analysis, they they definitely need to speak to somebody that can provide that information. You know, it's a big part yeah. of our presentation for first time home buyers that are renting currently, and just looking at the the difference of renting for five, 10, 15 years compared to whatever they're trying to buy, the tax benefit that, you know, the, the appreciation you're missing out on the property, even conservative appreciation rates, and just the dollar for dollar when, when you look at a 15-year projection with, for instance, even a 3 to 4% rent increase year over year. I mean, in 2021, the national average was like 14% year over year rent increase, right? Probably on the higher end here in Orange County because of demand. But that's come down. So even looking at it at a conservative three to four percent year over year rent increase, that person renting for 15 years, the amount of money they will throw away and have no tax benefit, build no equity and generational wealth with compared to owning, it's 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 mind blowing. It's really it's eye opening, you know. So I don't use it as a tool to get people excited. Because again, it still comes back to the affordability. Like you can look at this and go, okay, well, this is a no-brainer. I need to buy, but I'm biting off maybe too much. So let, let's get you redirected into a price point that's going to make more sense, so you can have a balance and start to, to you're build not this overextending. Type of yeah, you're future not over for you and your family. Yeah. yeah, you're not overextending yourself. I just did an analysis of rent uh, rent versus buy for about a seven hundred thousand dollar home, and it said at the calculator came back says that it would. It would take you about two years and four months before uh, uh, your your uh, buying uh, becomes better um, uh, number wise versus rent. Only two years and four months. Yeah, that that your mortgage and uh, uh, buying a home would start to get cheaper than the rent that you're paying. Right? That's nothing. Like you 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 try to get into something so that you wait two and a half years, you know, literally or a little less, right? It's going to be cheaper than the rent that you pay at that time. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem too, Leo, is a lot of people just think of everything on a monthly budget. They're not looking on an annual, uh, you know, or even a five-year lookout is to, you know, I mean, we're paid monthly, most people, industries, right? Or paid bi-weekly, semi-monthly or monthly, you know, so you really budget your life that way and you look at everything on a monthly basis. But I think looking at things in a different, broader perspective for clients is is helpful, you know, because as much as I can't give tax advice, part of our presentation, it, it gives them a pretty good projection of the tax benefit based on that price point and interest that they're paying on the mortgage, uh, you know, and based specifically on the consumer's tax bracket. Which is constantly changing and it's extremely high right now right. especially for higher higher earners but yeah. um you know in, in in showing that because that's something that you don't even realize as a new owner until you go to file one full year you know if you buy a property at the end of last year you're not really even going to feel that benefit that tax benefit until you're filing your 2023 taxes and you've paid interest an entire year that you get to write off for 2022 or 2023 um you know and, and i i think that is an eye opener, you know, and the, the only good thing, I guess, about higher interest rates, you know, compared to, I just got my 1099 for, uh, for my, my mortgage on my primary and, you know, my rates so low, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's not a whole lot of tax benefit in this anymore, you know, compared to where it was at. Right. So, you know, c- carrying a higher mortgage, I don't really suggest that for, you know, tax benefit, but 
it's the only way I think you can pallet maybe taking a little bit of a higher rate. But again, historically, these rates are not yeah. not very high, frankly. Right. If you can help it, you want to reduce your rates for sure. Yeah. It's, it's not like, you know, spending $100 to save 30. <laughs> right, know? right. Right. So uh, totally good. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this has been um, uh, so in-depth. And uh, I really appreciate you, you know, kind of educating everybody, especially all the stuff that's happening, you know, right now you know, not a month ago, not six months ago, um, and uh, really encourage people who um, are listening to, you know, reach out to e either myself or Ryan, uh, but especially to Ryan uh, regarding any kind of finances so they can find out, hey, is, is you know, don't try to self-diagnose whether you can afford it or not. Let a professional go down the numbers for you, and then you can make a decision. Once you have all your, you know, uh, uh, you know, facts in front of you about your own income and your own payments. And, you know, uh, even if you're, if you're just looking month to month, let's, let's help you, you know, plan out a quarter ahead, you know, a year ahead, hopefully. Right. right. So you can see like, Hey, you know, you're going to thank yourself a year from now. you are thank yourself, you know, two, two years and four months from now when your, you know, monthly, you know, mortgage starts to be less than what you pay for rent. Right. So um, uh, a conversation is always going to be good, but uh, this has been uh, great. I, we could probably go through so many uh, details of, of uh, so many different scenarios. Everybody's got a different situation. So we want to really customize you know, uh, the, the conversation around that for them, because that's the only way they're going to get the most impact. It's no good to talk about general economics. It's no good to talk about, you know, general market and prices, uh, and things like that, unless, uh, those, those numbers apply specifically to you, to what your goals are, you know? So, uh, so I'm going to have all of the information here, of course, in the description in our podcast, um, feel free to reach out to both of us. And as uh, per tradition, we always ask our guests, uh, what's the one quote that, that they would uh, like to share with the world? And uh, Ryan, uh, take away. Okay. You want me to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a good one that's always resonated with me. And it's uh, something I, I go back to. I, I try to always be counting my blessings. You know, life is not easy for anybody. And, uh, and I think it's the most important thing. So the, it resonates with me. It's just the, the wise man counts his blessing. The foolish man counts his problems. And uh, I'm just going to keep counting blessings, frankly. Yeah. We got plenty of problems. Don't need to worry about them. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 they're around, but, uh, you know, we have our eye on blessings and yeah. uh, we just can't, uh, can't thank the world enough that, you know, was just talking to somebody else this morning or like, Hey, it's a great day. Cause I, you know, I woke up and, uh, you know, I'm healthy and I can work and I can do all these great things. I have, you know, great life ahead of me. Yeah. I'll leave, I'll leave you with another one. Sure. It, yesterday's history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today's a blessing, you know? Yeah. Tomorrow is, is certainly a mystery. Yesterday, we have no control over. And today is, you know, it's a blessing. Like you said, we woke up, we're here, we're live. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, since we're on this, uh, I'll, I'll share one too. Um, uh, this is from one of my coaches, which, which, uh, which I love. Um, live for today, but plan for tomorrow. It's a good one. Yeah. Right? Yeah, this is a, I think this encapsulate a lot of stuff that we talked about to, to help people out there, you know, because they're trying to live for today, but then, you know, they're only planning for today. 
right? So yeah. you need to kind of, you know, plan ahead so that you have a better life. So um, I can't thank you enough, uh, Ryan, for being here and spending yeah. the time. I know you're, you're you, a busy man and a lot of people to help. And uh, hopefully we can, you know, help more people with this talk that we have and uh, more people uh, can reach out to us and uh, make, uh, we can help both make the world a better place. Hey, my uh, pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it, Leo. Thank you, Ryan. All right. Talk to you soon. See ya. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you subscribe to receive notifications of all new episodes and please give us a positive review. And if you want to hang out with us live, check out our YouTube channel where you can continue the conversations with me and our guests.